Investment Astrologer, coming to you live from the city of destiny, Tacoma, Washington. And from Waynesville, South Carolina, with me is Gary Caton, photographer, writer, magician, and astrologer. And I am super excited to have Gary on. Gary, can you say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Gary's on here as an astrologer because we're going to talk about Venus retrograde, and I couldn't have a guest with, with more of a wealth of information on that subject. And we're going to get to know Gary, and uh, Gary's super interesting. He's been an astrologer for a long time. But before we do any of that, I want to talk to Gary about a person who helped me really get into astrology. And it's a person, an astrologer, uh, a man of blessed memory named Kelly Lee Phipps. And I know Gary knew Kelly well. And so I, I really want to start there. Um, Gary, can you tell us about Kelly? And, and we really want to honor him. Yeah, yeah. Kelly was a really dear friend of mine, is a really dear friend of mine. Um, departed this plane, as you know. But yeah, when I when I came to Asheville, um, Kelly was the man, you know, and <laughs> larger than life, dude. And yet, we it, it we felt it felt like brothers, you know, because we both came from a very similar background, um, football players. Um, you know, but good in school and, uh, and, and, uh, and then found astrology. And so it just felt really natural, um, really easy. And Kelly and I, I mean, I just loved hanging out with the guy, but he was, he was an incredibly, he was a force of nature, man, because, um, I mean, I remember when I used to go over to his house to record stuff and, and the guy was so far ahead of his time, man, he was on YouTube way before YouTube was cool you know? And so, uh, I used to go over to his house to record these videos and stuff and, and I'd have to psych myself up. Like I was getting ready for a football <laughs> game. Because I'm going to be with this. This cat is so high energy. Um, so yeah, you know, I just love the guy. It was just one of those things where you meet somebody and you just, you know, it was a bromance. We just, it was like love at first, you know, encounter. And, um, and he was, you know, the first person I know about that had an astrology podcast. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know if I realized there was such a thing before I met Kelly. He was doing the cosmic weather, you know, back in the day. Uh, that would have been around 2006, I guess, 2007. And he had me on the show. Um, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about. But I was on the show with him and Benjamin, and uh, one of my students who was in, uh, she was in uh, Chattanooga, over here in Tennessee, um, she heard that and she was like, oh my God, you need your own show, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know anything about all that technical stuff, like that's just way over my head. And she's like, I'll set it all up for you. And so what do you say to somebody, you know, if they're willing to do, I was like, all right, let's go. And uh, Holly, um, bless her heart, man, because honestly, if it hadn't have been for Kelly and Holly, I probably never would have been a podcaster, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that, I really wanted to talk about Kelly first because to me, like honoring the people who, you know, helped you get your start 
that's a really that's a really big thing. Um, it's really important. It's really important to honor the traditions. It's really important to honor our inspirations. And um, so I'm really glad when you when you told me that you were you you also knew Kelly. Um, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm in because that guy just to this day, you know, I think about you know he his the title of his book was Celestial Renaissance. You know, and I think about that, that is happening now. There is literally a renaissance happening now. Look at you, man. I mean, you're, you're podcasting. There's a podcasting, you know, sort of bloom that's happening. All kinds of people are podcasting. I think that's fantastic. And I know Kelly would have loved it, man, because he was a true student of history. I mean, the guy wrote a book on the Jupiter-Saturn cycle, and he, he really had a feeling that this time that we're in, was going to be, you know, a kind of re renaissance for astrology. And, um, and it is in many ways. So, so yeah, I'm really happy that you won. So you got to share one of your Kelly stories now. <laughs> <laughs> so I never got to meet Kelly in person. Um, I, I used to exchange emails with him when I was just starting. And when I first, um, I had been into astrology for a long time, but more as an amalgam. I'd been to a couple rainbow gatherings, knew a lot of uh, quote unquote high holies, uh, people into all that fun woo stuff. Um, and astrology always stuck out to me as someone who has, uh, just thinks a lot. I, I, I like um, lots, of, lots of Mercury, lots of Virgo in my chart. I like all the pieces and how they fit together. Um, mm -hmm. It resonated with me more strongly than some of the other practices that individuals were into. And I'll never forget, it was, uh, it was one of his YouTube videos and he was connecting dots, but not just um, here are the houses, here are the planets, um, here are the cycles. I mean, he, he could break down any one of those points from 10 different philosophical traditions. And it was nuts. And, yeah. and it would come out like a whirlwind. And uh, I just right away knew, you know, this is for me. Like, I need yeah. to know more about this. Right. Um, and we would get in. I mean, I had uh, 30 back and forth email exchanges with him, um, it, just it, figuring out books that he is suggesting I should purchase to, to get myself more fully introduced. Um, really uh, an amazing guy. I, I wanna talk about, so just to bring it up, um, Gary's podcast is called the Hermetic Astrology Podcast. Really great, please sign up. Uh, Kelly also did a movie called Return of the Magi. So when you're talking about Kelly foreseeing this happening, this breakout of astrology, he not only foresaw it, he went to the lengths of acquiring um, recording equipment. And now it was cheaper than it was 20 years before that, but nowhere near as cheap as it is now. I mean, he bought like a legit camera when that was yeah. a deal. And he went more or less around the world finding all of the, the top astrologers who'd been in the game for a really long time, we have them on film because of Kelly. And yeah. I think Return of the Magi is now on YouTube. Uh, they ask you to donate um, something to his uh, kids' education, um, which is great. Please do that. But I also yeah, encourage you to watch it. Yeah, Ariane's studying uh, forestry or something like that in, in, uh, in Colorado. He's doing a really great job. I'm really happy to see that um yeah the return of the magi wow <laughs> what a trip that was man 
I remember the first time he showed me a cut of that movie and the, 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 the clips that he selected out of our conversation. I just thought, wow, you know, the guy's definitely got something there. And, uh, and, and yeah, he, he had this ability to string together these sound bites from various people and put them all together into something that was pretty remarkable. Um, unfortunately, you know, there, you, you can't cover everybody. <clears throat> and uh, there was some politics afterwards with people who weren't included and felt like they should be and blah, blah, blah. That was unfortunate. Um, but yeah, that, like I said, I mean, totally ahead of his time, that whole idea, the return of the Magi, you know, um, I mean, yeah, like you said, many different philosophies and Kelly knew in depth, all of the astrology that was embedded in the Bible. Right. I mean, just, he could just, you know, uh, and, and, uh, you know, Taoism and philosophy and just a really incredible, knowledgeable person, you know? Um, and I, I was really, really blessed to know him. He came along at a time when I, w I had been an astrologer since 1993, you know, and I had been published in the Mountain Astrologer for, you know, that's a pretty big milestone for most people. Um, so, you know, and yet I was still, I was still working as a counselor, you know, for my day job. I was a children's counselor. Actually, I was managing the the child services unit for Madison County, North Carolina. But um, yeah, so, you know, I was pretty invested in that career, but I kept getting laid off um, because of, you know, the whole, all the politics and all the craziness around funding for that sort of thing. And I just got tired of like having to, to, you know, find another job. And I thought to myself, after I got laid off, uh, the second or third time I thought you know what if I'm ever going to do this astrology thing full-time now now's the chance so I paid down the mortgage on my house and decided to go full-time and and all this was happening right about the same time I met Kelly and so and here was a guy <laughs> like you said I mean that was another thing rainbow gatherings like how many people in the astrology world can you say know what a rainbow gathering is right i mean there was so many points of intersections it felt like my god everywhere i've been this guy was there i just didn't see him like <laughs> you're just, you know and <laughs> uh, yeah so um it was uh it was it felt like a really strong affirmation of of who i am and it gave me the confidence to say yeah okay you know, move the chips all in, right? Let's go. And that, honestly, that made such a difference in my career as an astrologer because when you do it all day, every day, and it is all day, right? Because in the beginning, I was working like time, full time and a half job for part time pay because that's the way it is, right? You're building, <laughs> you're building something, <clears throat> and um, but when you when you when you're that immersed, man, it, it just, it lights up something and all of this wonderful material started coming out. And so I'm just really, really thankful for that time of my life. Um, because it was a crossroads, you know, I could have gone, I could have gone back to school and got my master's degree and focused on the counseling and whatnot. Um, 
but I ended up becoming, you know, an astrologer and a magician and so on. And it's made all the difference. Um, and podcasting, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. I remember, um, you know, the hosting company that I use is called Liberated Syndication, Libsyn for short. And I remember at one point when they, they bought out the company that I started with, I can't remember their name. Um, but they give you like this map and it shows you like the various countries where people are listening. And I remember looking at that it kind of boggled my mind. Like, my God, there's people all over the world listening to me, you know? <laughs> and it was just like, wow. That's one of my favorite um, things with the statistics. Um, Cause I've had countries pop up and I'm a pretty educated person and I, never heard of it. <laughs> uh, it's not a map in Anchor. Uh, I used to use Libsyn where they had the map. It's not a map in Anchor. So I've, I've had to look. Uh, and it was a little tiny country in the Middle East. I forget the name. I just never, I had never right? heard of it. It's fun. It's like, wow. You know, I've had people share so many stories with me of like something I said about retrogrades and like trying to reframe it in a positive light. And they were inspired to reconnect with a loved one um, oh, that wow. they, and you know, and, um, and people from that to people sharing really intimate things like, yeah, you know, your voice is so soothing. I would, put you, I would put you on at night to go to sleep and you think, Oh, great. You know, I put you to sleep and they're like, no, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm listening. And I'm then, and then at some point I just kind of get lulled to sleep. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, like, it, it's just, you couldn't imagine when, when Holly first said, hey, you know, you should, I didn't imagine that anybody would be doing that. I didn't imagine that people would make, you know, huge life-changing decisions based on something they heard me say. It just doesn't occur to you. Um, so it's, it's a truly an honor and it's, a, it's really an amazing, amazing thing. That it absolutely is magical. One of the ways I would characterize your astrology, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is fearless. Um, because I've heard you say things and they're always supported. They're, it's not like you're just throwing them out there um, like a 15-year-old who's kind of intuiting their way around the chart. But you're also not, um, you're not afraid to, to go out on your own. Now, you're a, a seasoned, mature astrologer, and that's really the position I think we all want to get to. Um, but it, but it, it, there's a sense of fearlessness to it. You're, you're, you're standing in your own power, if that's the right word, as an astrologer. Can you tell yeah. me, just, just before you answer that, can we go back maybe to your origins a little? And uh, yeah, just sure. talk about how that developed. Like, where did you first get into astrology? And how did you get to the point where you're just in your own place, uh, an actualized astrologer? Thank you, man. Yeah, that's, I, I appreciate that uh, description, by the way. That's, that's cool. Um, you know, any Aries is going to say, yeah, yeah, man, <laughs> to that word. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fearlessness came about back when I, um, back when I first set out on a spiritual path. Um, I, I was brought up actually Southern Baptist. That's another thing that Kelly and I had in, in common, you know, and, um, and so very traditional spiritual upbringing, um, and uh, my father was a working man. He was a union man. So uh, the, about the, the most artistic thing I could imagine for myself was 
being an architect. So I, so I went to school in, in pursuit of an architecture degree. And um, the only school I could afford was Virginia Tech, VPI, which is an engineering school. It's not a design school like UVA is a design school, but it's, it's a private school. It's very expensive. I had the grades. I just didn't have the money. Um, so long story short, I kind of got tired of figuring out, you know, equations of like the moment of inertia on a beam and stuff like that. It's like, man, I'm not looking forward to spending the rest of my life doing this. I'm just not. And I'm not a person who can keep doing something if my heart's not in it. I just, I don't, you know, now I can fake it if I know, you know, if I'm, if I have a long-term investment in something, I can fake my way through for a while if I need to. I'm not saying that, but you know, this was still relatively, I was like in my third year and I was like, yeah. And at the same time that that was happening, I started having these dreams that where, you know, like animals were speaking to me and I started visiting the limestone caves in the region and having like some really intense experiences. And, um, I realized that there was that something was happening to me and, and I didn't have words for it, but you know, most people would call it a spiritual awakening. This was at the time of the Uranus Neptune conjunctions when Saturn, Uranus and Neptune were all going through Capricorn back in the early nineties. And, uh, I just decided I have to trust this. You know, this I can trust. The other thing, you know, figuring out, you know, moment of inertia on a beam, uh, no. So um, I ended up quitting school and just hitting the road. And like you said, I mean, rainbow gatherings. Um, I met this cat named White Owl. <laughs> and he needed to look the part. He had this snowy white beard, you know. And he just walked up to me and said, here, I want you to have these. And he handed me a deck of tarot cards. And I was like, why me? And he's like, well, you look wise. And I, and I said, well, how do you know I'm just, I'm wise. I might just look wise. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's literally what I said to him. And he said, no, you look wise because you've had experiences. You're, you're, you know, and I thought about it for a second and thought, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And, um, so I started in with the tarot and, the, and as many people have found out the tarot, you know, they are sort of like windows into something bigger, whatever you want to call that thing. You know, Jungians will call it the collective unconscious. Um, you know, other people might call it something else, but whatever you want to call it, you know, spirit, um, the anima mundi, the world soul, right. In the hermetic tradition, that word comes up. Um, and I started having even more profound dreams. And then one of them, I, I saw a, like a, a cross that was on fire with this white light and it, it was coming out of the cross and going into this well. And I was like, wow, man, this is some really heavy sacred imagery, you know? And then in the last one, I saw the planet, the symbol for Venus inside the sun. And it was the, it was this fiery blazing sun that I could look right at, you know? And I was like, Oh my goodness, that is just, that is a message from something, you know, that's that, it's like, I wasn't going to forget that one. No, no way. And, uh, and I found a, an ephemeris and found out that there was an inferior conjunction of sun Venus on that day. And I was like, oh. Oh, Holy shit. You know, 
<laughs> that's, that's, and uh, I was hooked, man. It's like, t you say no more. Whatever power was speaking to me, like I got the message and I'm off. <clears throat> and I never really looked back. Like I said, I had, um, you know, I had, it was a side hustle for quite a while. Um, just because, you know, that's, I'm a Virgo moon and I, I develop slowly, you know, nocturnal birth too. Um, so the fearlessness was always there in the sense of like, I was willing to drop my life and to, and try something new. And, um, and that's how I found astrology. So that it runs through everything. Like that's how I got here. So why wouldn't I practice astrology that way? You know? And, um, and yeah, and, and, and so when I see stuff that's really fatalistic or um, deterministic, that's the other thing. You know, when I was, when I was a counselor, um, of course, you, you study in a way, you study philosophy as a counselor even because you have to determine, like, what is my philosophical attitude? Am I a determinist? Do I believe that things are sort of determined and that people – are going to behave a certain way because of their upbringing, blah, blah, blah. Or do I believe that, you know, in um, self-actualization like Abraham Maslow and stuff. And I was definitely not deterministic. You know, I believe in people. Be how could I not? I mean, so many times I was out on the road, you know, penniless and people stopped to help me. They offer me, you know, food and clothing and a place in their home. You know, how could I not believe in people after that experience? Um, and so that's where it comes from, really, the fearlessness. And it's interesting because if you think about this for a second, mm -hmm. let's put Aries on the ascendant, right? Let's just make it the first house of, uh, of a wheel like, like horoscope writers do, right? Got it. What do we find at the bottom of that wheel? Uh, that would be uh, Libra. Cancer. Cancer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Libra would be on the seventh house cusp. Cancer would be on the fourth, Capricorn on the tenth. I'm, I'm silly answering your questions. I'm trying to pull it up on the chart so I don't screw up. And so, of course, because I was doing that, I wasn't thinking and I screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the next cardinal sign, right, is going to mm -hmm. be. You can do this with any sign, but think about it yeah. for a second. Why is the warrior fearless? What, what, what inspires their is love of family, love of tribe, love of, of people. Nurturing down in their guts. Yeah, they don't do it just because they like gore. I mean, there's some of those. <laughs> Obviously, soldiers of fortune and dudes, they get off on that sort of thing. But for the most part, your average Joe or Jane, warrior, um, they do it because they care, man. You know? And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that for me, I always thought that I wanted to empower people to, um, to be, you know, to really uh, claim, their, claim their own power and to empower people and to, um, and to kind of shake off the chains of this sort of like fatalistic stuff. And like, look, there, one thing about it, the moment you're born, now, this is kind of a trip. The moment you're born, all of your transits, all of your, whether if you're modern, you can say progressions. If you're more classical, you can say perfections or time lords or 
zodiacal releasing, all that stuff is absolutely determined. You're going to have the transits you have because of that time you were born. They're all written in stone. Absolutely. That's fate. Those are the ones you're going to get. You're going to get them when you get them. And there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, you can check out, obviously, <clears throat> if you want to call that something to do about it. Um, but it's how you meet that, right? How you meet that is uh, there's a tremendous, to me, there's a tremendous amount of, um, uh, of variety in how we can meet that, you know? And so it's the meeting of that. It's how we meet that. And I think that's why I was drawn to the magic arts and, and hermeticism as a path because, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of stoicism in, in, in uh, the Hellenistic tradition of like accepting your fate and just, and I get it. Like sometimes that's healthy. Sometimes just you know, bowing to a higher power. <laughs> it's like how you make it through another day. Right. Um, but I think that also, you know, there's like being able to say, hey, you know what? This is not what I want. This is not who I am. And I'm, I'm, I'm determined to find another way. I think it helps. Um, some of that determinism has helped me uh, un be more understanding as a human, too. Uh, when someone's a jerk, I think to myself, man, that, that guy's going through a tough transit right now. And yeah. generally, you, you know, we just do the pop in the back of your head and see where the planets are. Like, ah, I bet I can figure out exactly where that is. Yeah. Um, the person's that person's in pain, right? They're suffering. Right. Yeah. I do want to ask a question before we get to Venus and, and I, you were leading us there. So you, you've been around. Wow. Astrology has progressed. And a lot of that progression has to do with, the translation of old texts. And, and we get to that point where we're, we have a lot of that Hellenistic traditional astrology available to us that just wasn't 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and we're also seeing this explosion in magic. And I know you've been really working on this as well and working with it. Do you think um, that we can uh, attribute this development of magic more towards some of its availability? Because even the Translations of the Picatrix that were usable are pretty new. Um, and there's obviously other stuff popping up. Or is it a combo platter with the idea that a lot of that traditional astrology was really determinist? And when you look at, and we see this in um, Joy Tish too, you, you see more deterministic versions of astrology and people think to themselves, I, I'm not just going to sit back and let this happen. I, I'm going to actively do something about it. And then we see some of these interventions. Um, I know in Joytish, there is some magical practices, but they also use a lot of stones. Um, yep. There's a lot of prayers and mantras. And, uh, mm -hmm. and in the Western tradition, we see magic. Um, yeah. is, do you think that's, where do yeah. you see it coming from? But one, one answer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> both, both things. Obviously, you know, having the translations makes a world of difference. Um, and I was there in the early days with, with Schmidt at hindsight. And man, I mean, what a blessing. Like the guy just opened his heart to everyone who, who, who came in his home, you know? I mean, then to me, that's what I remember about Schmidt. I mean, yeah, brilliant scholar. I, I remember, you know, and like an incredible lecturer, man. Like 
this Leo rising, I mean, he was like this big cat and he would literally like, he would have the mic cord, you know, attached to him and he would, he would have the mic cord in the other hand and he, he would, he would say something and then he would stop and you could tell he was, he was, he was formulating his thoughts and he would be flicking the mic cord like a, like a, this big <laughs> like cat flicking tail. His tail, you know, and that I was in awe of the man. So, uh, you know, for sure. But the thing I remember is like being welcomed into his home with open arms <clears throat> and all of us, like I remember sleeping on the floor in his living room, you know what I'm saying? Um, so that, that community um, and the translations obviously make a difference, but yes, I do believe that um, there's that there, that it's a reaction to some of that fatalistic stuff because <clears throat> Yeah, you have, you know, you have like something in certain people that's just going to say, no, <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to sit back and take this. Like there's something that can be done. There's wiggle room. There's and, also, uh, the big change too is that previous to a lot of this Hellenistic stuff, people were viewing astrology really solely from this position of psychology. And, yeah. and suddenly there's this huge change. I mean, when my formal training, we focused uh, 90% of our discussion into real world reactions based on transit. Like if Mars shows up at an angle, look out for a cut or a burn. Um, if Mars shows up in the wrong place, you should check on your car and make sure it's, it's squared away because it might break down. I mean, that's what we were, that's what we discussed. That's a different way to do astrology. Yeah, it is. It totally is. I mean, and I, I appreciate the psychological part very much because I think um, it made me a better human being in the sense of, you know, being, like you said, empathy and compassion and that sort of thing. It's, you know, um, and, and knowing like how to talk to people, knowing simple things, for instance, like if someone is talking about feelings, right, if they're telling you about a feeling, you don't respond with cognition. You don't respond with, and this is very common mistake that people make. People will say a feeling and that because we don't really want to feel that feeling that they're feeling, we'll respond with this mental thing of, well, you should do this or that or the other. And it's like, what you're saying is you don't care when you do that. Right. And because I was trained in the psychological arts, I don't do that. I know better. <clears throat> And unfortunately, there's a lot of that out there where I think good meaning people just simply don't have the skills. So, um, yeah, to me, like, I, I really value both all of the above. But yeah, there, you know, um, <clears throat> it's interesting that you mentioned like watching your car because recently, earlier this spring, I had to take my truck in to get, you know, I drive a 90s era truck. And uh, it's, you know, there's, al there's always something. And uh, I took it into, and it needed a muffler. Well, when I went, so the guy put the muffler on, when I got in, I, the brake felt different. And I was like, yeah, I gotta go over a pretty steep mountain to get home, I'm not, uh, you know. So yeah, it was leaking. And probably by the time I made it to, to start going down that hill, I would have been out of brake fluid and in big trouble. And one of the reasons why because I had a difficult transit at the time and I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not chancing this under this transit, right? <clears throat> and, uh, 
And so, yeah, there's, I see a lot of value in both, but, but to get back to what you were saying, if we look at where did the magic come from in respect to the unfolding of the traditions, right? Mm-hmm. Two things, I mean, there was a lot of stoicism in the beginning in the, in, with the Greeks. Um, but even in that, for instance, look at what they do with the malefics vis-a-vis sect. Is, do they, they say, well, you know, obviously the sun is diurnal and the moon is nocturnal and you put Venus with, with the moon and you put uh, Jupiter with the sun. And that, that part, like, it's pretty easy. And then they say, well, you know, Saturn is cold by nature. So we're going to stick him with the diurnal crew to kind of counteract that. That's freaking magic. That's magic. You, you're not accepting fate. You're not accepting Saturn as he is. You're trying to warm his ass up. <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah. So it's always been there. <clears throat> even, even amongst the Stoic stuff, it's always been there. But where it really started to shine is that you had this Hellenistic era. And, um, you know, a lot of these cats were all, all like... Um, sort of trading, you know, they refer to one another and stuff. Manilius being one of the notable exceptions, he's kind of out there on his own. It seems at first, but then when you read some of the more esoteric stuff from Egypt and so forth, you start to see, ah, maybe Manilius was just, you know, um, channeling some different stuff. But, but you know, that, that runs its course, and then, in, then Europe falls into a dark ages, right? And yet, in the, in the East, in Persia, there's a golden age happening. And you get cats like Abu Musar and, and Masha Allah and, and all this. This is when the magical tradition really, really arises. And so it's interesting to me that um, a lot of this stuff came after, it, after the original impetus. Well, the original impetus, we should... Be clear for those who are, you know, maybe just getting into this field. The original impetus came from Egypt, Mesopotamia, and then that was merged with the Greeks. So there was this very syncretic thing that happened. And the Greeks kind of took a lot of the Mesopotamian stuff, which, and there was 2,000 years of that, right? So there's this pre-horoscopic era that I call traditional astrology. And then there's this era that I call classical astrology, which includes Hellenistic and medieval. Somewhere between Hellenistic and medieval is where the magic crops up. That's my that's my point here. And it's you think that parallels to India accepting astrology, and because India immediately had magic as well. Yeah, I think that something happens when it crosses a cultural boundary like that. There's a freedom. In other words, it seems to me the fact that that all these Greek guys were kind of all saying the same thing, right? There's this, you know, they call it in, you know, with politics, whether you're right or left, it's an echo chamber, right? Everybody kind of agrees, well, this is sort of the way it is, and we're going to, you know, this is as far as we go. And then when it crosses these cultural boundaries, that stuff falls away, and they're like, hey, let's try this. Let's try, you know, let's do solar returns, 
<clears throat> let's let's look at this um, this cycle of Jupiter and Saturn, like Abu Masar did. Um, all these wild innovations happen because of that that transmission, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I do believe that that's part of it, and so um, I think what's happening now is that. Um, is similar, right? Because what what got resurrected was, um, you know, the Hellenistic stuff, and then there was a there was a fair amount of medieval stuff too with Zoller. A lot of Zoller students are, um, and Lily, we had Lily, and Lily, we had Lily. Lily was, yeah, exactly, and Lily was, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. I wouldn't call Lily early modern, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, certainly late, late classical. Um, but we, yeah, we assume so, as as a tradition that Lilly was adopting a lot of his theorems from earlier texts. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely, you know, full on, you know, classical techniques um, with some with some weird. I mean, he almost did some alphabet type stuff, too, which is kind of weird. It's like and I don't know that people really get that. <laughs> um, but, you know, here's another thing. Yeah. So we're talking about the sort of the positive the transmission now. Look at what happens between with the with the Hellenistic people. They they treated all of the various dignities relatively equal. In other words, triplicity lords were a big deal. It wasn't something that they well, if the first, you know, if you can't get what you're looking for from domicile or exaltation, eh, maybe try the triplicity lords as a last resort. No, no, no. There was very hardcore like, techniques that were set up completely around, you know, triplicity. Um, so there wasn't this like grading that you get in the medieval tradition where, you know, domiciles plus five and exaltation plus four and plus three. And by the time you get the face, you know, well, and honestly, it, it, it resulted, I think, in, in, um, in like think about it once you start giving once you start saying well this one's better than this one better than that one is it it's it's a it's a natural occurrence that the lesser ones fall away so everybody says well modern astrologers only use domicile and exaltation well is it any wonder you've already said the other ones are lesser it also gets complicated and so i chalk some of that up to people's emphasis you know uh and it's not really where i want to be spending my time so i'm going to Kind of simplify this and then apply it where I want. Yeah. So yeah, but it's interesting to me that um, that you know you have this sort of recapitulation of the transmission happening now, which is fascinating, I think. And um, and I think it's wonderful, you know, because and and I and by the way, you know, I absolutely am not one of these people who, if it wasn't in some book, right you know it doesn't it's not real or doesn't count or isn't because there's a lot of stuff that for whatever reason those cats weren't hip to you know and one of them is and this is a good segue yes one of them is that that um you know the the astronomy they they just they had this idealized version of things and to them that was this is my reading of it, but to them that was actually more important, the idealized, than the actual dirt nitty, dirty nitty gritty. 
And I think this is why you get things like Ptolemy copying Hipparchus's observations and stuff, because, well, we're looking for this idealized thing anyway, and we, we just need some observations, so we'll just copy the ones that are already there, yada, yada. Um, because when you, when you do the observations, you, you find some pretty amazing stuff that somehow never got talked about. <clears throat> and it blows my mind um, what, what became of all that. And, you know, in modern astrology, people repeat things over and over and over again. You know, if you say it enough times, it becomes true. But it's not. Because retrograde planets do not ever go back and forth across the same section of sky three times. Doesn't happen. And yet, how many times have we heard that? All right. So now I think we both know where we're headed. Uh, <laughs> I, I invited Gary on because this, this is one of the places he shines as much as any astrologer we have right now. Um, so we're going to talk about Venus retrograde. And, and please, if you're listening, um, you already picked up on my reverence for Gary, but I want you to pay attention to how he puts our art together um, because it's a goal every one of us should have is to become a self-actualized astrologer who expresses themselves using the signifiers and symbols in a way um, that, that matures in us and is a singular voice there. Wow. Thank you, brother. Wow. That's beautiful. So yeah, um, what happens when you really start looking at the sky is that you see, you see some pretty weird stuff going on, man. And you see that, um, for instance, when you watch Venus, right now in the sky you'll see that um she she was out of bounds north for quite a while very far out of bounds in this particular retrograde she gets up there with and right now she's near this blue star named Elnath. it's the tip of the bull uh, horn of the bull right the, most planets don't ever go near that star um first of all so this is very unusual in general. And, um, and then what happens is she kind of does this turn and she, and she goes from very high and then turns south. Um, so there's a southward movement rather than a, rather than just like stopping and doing this quick turn and just going back the way she came, there's a very obvious southward movement rather than um, that is as, pronounced if not more pronounced than the actual backward movement you'll see the southward movement by the time she actually starts turning retrograde she's disappeared so what you see is the southward movement as you're observing and this is something that um you know you just don't hear talked about and it, and and it boggled my mind like why not what you know because like my eyes are not deceiving me <laughs> And I started looking at it like kind of, I kind of got obsessed with it. I think you have to, because you could easily just say, well, you know, um, I don't, you know, it, it's, people don't talk about it. There must be a reason. Blah, and you go on with what they are talking about. Right. But I've always been one of these people like that. If something's not getting talked about that, it sticks in my craw, you know, <laughs> <laughs> And so I started following the motion and really examining it. And I mean, like 
drawing it out on paper and and I was and I and then right about the time I thought I was understanding and I said okay let me go back in time and re and uh you know recreate it right to make sure that I'm so I'll go back another you know 100 years and make sure I've got this right and guess what it changed and I'm going oh no man what in the hell is going on because if there's one particular loop that she does right now where there's this distinct Z shape. She goes, she's going along. And like I said, rather than turning around and going back, she goes dives and she goes down and then back across. So there's this downward Z that happens. And then what happens is if you look ahead a hundred years from now, that Z will be upward. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, WTF, man. Like, so she's that... following patterns within patterns. There, there are, yeah. And, and what that is, is that what I finally figured out is that planets have nodes too. It's not just the moon that has nodes. And by the way, if you want to see some pretty cool stuff um, observationally, if you go out in the western sky over the next week, you'll see Mercury is coming into view below Venus, and you'll see the moon come into view below, as I mean in altitude-wise, in the sky below. Actually, Mercury is, is going to be out of bounds like Venus. They're both going to be out of bounds, and that's, that's another podcast. But <laughs> uh, the moon will come into view, and the moon will be in south latitude because the moon hasn't reached her north node yet. The north node of the moon right now is at the solstice point. And you'll literally get to see the moon start out on this side of Venus and Mercury and then be on the ecliptic and then move to the, to the north side of the ecliptic over the next several nights. You'll get to see that crossing of the ecliptic plane. And the thing is, planets do this too. There's, what happens is we, we're so used to looking at the ecliptic from the north pole of the ecliptic, which is where we get the zodiac from, we assume everything's always on the ecliptic. In fact, the reverse is true. Things are hardly ever on the ecliptic. <laughs> and, and so you have to understand that this, they, the only time they are on the ecliptic is at their node, when their orbit crosses the Earth's orbit, that's where they're on the ecliptic. And it's at these places that you get these Z shapes. And the Z shape is downward in Gemini because that's Venus's south node. South or descending node, as astronomers will often call it the descending node, right? Whereas in 100 years, you'll have the transits of Venus will be where? In Sagittarius, not Gemini. Right, they occur centuries apart in opposing signs, and then you'll have this upward pointing Z. So this, so the height of my consternation when the thing was actually the breakthrough, where I was like, okay, it's it's different, but it's the same. It's still a Z shape. So there's something there, and that's when I figured out that it was the nodes that was determining these shapes. Um, but what's really fascinating about this year is that it's not just Venus who's doing this downward Z shape. You've got Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto are all at their south node. So you have four planets retrograde right at this moment, and all of them are doing 
of retrograde at their south node. This is very unusual. It's highly unusual for Jupiter and Saturn to be, you know, at their uh, south node together, A. Then you add in Pluto and Venus. I mean, I don't even know what the ultimate rarity of that is, but it's we certainly haven't seen it in our lifetimes, and it's been centuries at least. Um, and then look at, you know, and here we are, right, We're in an unprecedented experience. And the south node, you know, means... It's interesting because, you know, once you discover what's actually going on with the astronomy, it forces you to rethink your interpretations. So I wrote this article for um, astrology.com in November. Um, my editor was like, I need all the, you know, articles for the retrogrades next year by the end of this year because of, you know, the way they do their finances or whatever. Okay, fine. So I'm writing that and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so Saturn does this Z shape, crosses the ecliptic, and Saturn will not cross the ecliptic again for 14 years. So there's something happening that's, what do we saw talk about the south node? It's leaving behind. It's like, right, something is ending, something, and what is Saturn? Boundaries, limits, rules. So something with respect to boundaries, limits, and rules that we've accepted as normal is going away and it's not going to return. I wrote that and like, you know, understatement of all time, right? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Under, but I nailed it because I took the trouble to understand what I was seeing. You know what I'm saying? If you didn't have that, if you didn't have that experience of seeing those and going, WTF, why is this going downwards and not backwards you would have just said oh yeah saturn's going retrograde and you know like so there will be a change obviously with you know rules and regulations and blah 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 but you wouldn't have necessarily understood that it was going away for a long time right if this is just another retrograde and all retrogrades are basically the same because everything's always on the ecliptic you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. and so it really that's when it was like it really dawns on me when I start doing these um, interps based on this new information and I get feedback like this, I'm going, yes, this need, this is solid. You know, yes, it's new. Yes. I basically invented it for lack of a better term, but it freaking works. And um, it's important because like I said, you could have easily, I could have easily missed that if I was thinking that, yeah, okay, it's just another Saturn retrograde, right? Um, so um, that was incredible. Uh, by the way, folks, if you're not familiar with planetary nodes, uh, Mark Jones does a ton of work with them, uh, another brilliant astrologer. And if you're interested in out-of-bounds planets, Tony Howard's been doing a ton of work with that. Um, I don't think uh, Gary can, can break all that down for you right now. Um, <laughs> but we're right in the midst of this Venus retrograde. Yes. Why don't you just talk to us about a, a little bit about Venus retrograde if people aren't familiar, but what you see with this one. And I know you wanted to talk about um, the last two as well and yeah. kind of lump them yeah. together, which is how obviously we talk about Venus retrograde. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So a few things, a few basic things about Venus. Venus is the planet closest to us. Okay, so when you're talking about Venus, you're talking about stuff that's close. 
it's 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 it touches your heart right it's 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 deep it's in it's and um so so you'll know the difference between venus and uh if it's jupiter you know they're all turning retrograde at the one at once so what's going on well if it's venus it's going to touch your heart it's going to feel you're going to feel it in your gut or in your heart or you're going to right whereas if it's jupiter or saturn it's going to be more in your head or more social or that sort of thing right so right away there's that distinction um and the other thing about venus that's amazing is venus is like clockwork in fact the mayan astrologers used venus to calibrate their calendar you know you've often heard about the mayan calendar being like you know various wheels on a clock and all this stuff like on a swiss clock venus is like the timekeeper venus is super um regular her orbit is very circular so this it's not elliptic and it's not um and so you get exactly eight years repeats so what we're going through now was the same thing we went through in 2012 with respect to venus obviously the rest of the cast is doing something a little different and that changes things but with respect to venus the same deal happened in 2008 and the same thing happened in 2004 um and what happens in this particular loop is that you get this crossing of the ecliptic at the same time that the sun is there so even though venus isn't actually going to cross the disk of the sun this time around those happen in pairs rarely she is going to be much closer to the sun than she is in any of the other retrogrades so think about what that symbolizes for a second what is the sun the sun is always on the ecliptic because the sun is really the apparent motion uh, of the earth, right? The ecliptic is the earth's orbit. So you have this situation where plant, where Venus is crossing her node, which means that Venus is crossing the earth plane. So there's something that is very central, something that really gets to the heart of it. It sort of, it sort of like just, puts you into the center, the, the heart space of, of something that you may have been, you know, sort of understanding peripherally before. Now it's like right to the bone. It's cutting right down to the bone of whatever experience you're having. That can be tough, but it can be extremely revealing too. It can be um, illuminating to know where your center is, right? Um, because it's easy to get knocked off center. You know, it's funny. I was doing some engraving the other day and I, ha I, I became conscious halfway through that I was skewed to the right, that all my figures were a little, and I, I had to adjust in the middle of like, you know, push it to the left because you're for whatever reason today, you're skewed to the right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we, we get like that. We get off centered life you know um and so this is a wonderful opportunity to recenter um and again that comes from the astronomy from understanding the astronomy um and also it's a wonderful opportunity to recenter with others right um it's really interesting you know that we open this conversation talking about kelly right because and talking about tradition 
that's recentering. That's like refocusing on where we come from and where, you know, where our hearts are anchored and so forth, right? That's what I'm talking about. Um, and by doing that, by, um, by recentering with other people, we reestablish our bonds with them. We re, we, we get, we refocus on what's really important, what's really central. And, and by doing that, a lot of the other stuff that's not central just naturally falls away. It doesn't, you realize it's not as important. Um, so yeah, I think that's the main feature of this retrograde that I that I focus on is that is that centrality of it, um, and it's you know it's only once every eight years that we get this particular one, so um, pretty much the other thing is that as you know this idea of you know that there's four planets all crossing their south nodes. So there's something that is falling away that uh, is not going to come back and like making peace with that. Um, now, what's really fascinating is that all the planets, I think I said this earlier, all the planets that can go retrograde will go retrograde this year. That's very rare too. And what's fascinating is that in the early part of the year, Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus are all going retrograde at their south node. Later in the year, Mercury and Mars are going to go retrograde at their north node. So right now we're going through this thing with Venus and it might be hard in the sense of like letting stuff go, like there's all this south node energy at once, but you should know that later in the year, we're gonna have the opposite experience. That, and, it, and it's only by clearing space from the south node and making room available that whatever is coming up into awareness from those north node passages is going to be able to land. You know, so it's like farming, right? You have to, you have to clear away all the detritus of the old crops, right? And clear the land in, for new stuff to be able to grow. So there's a there's a cycle that's happening this year um, with the retrogrades that, that you know that's good to keep that in perspective. Carolyn Casey likes to use the metaphor the cauldron, and this sounds like a great time to <laughs> appreciate what you're heaping into the cauldron and uh, and do your best to make medicine with it. Yeah, I've heard it referred to less charitably. <laughs> There's one astrologer I know, she calls it the, the urinal. <laughs> and it can be, you know, literally, that's one effect of the South Node is that, um, you know, the dragon's tail. It's, the, it's about elimination. There are, it can be about things that have built up to a toxic level and really like focusing on that and, and dealing with that so that it doesn't become, but this, I, I like this idea of the cauldron too, of that. Um, and then, so that then when the North node comes, what is that? That's the emptying of the cauldron. So you can pour out at that time, this stew or this tincture, you know, I've been making uh, mushroom tinctures and stuff. You can pour out the contents of the cauldron at that time to be for, for people to take in. What so, have you been using? Turkey tails? 
Um, I've been doing reishi and uh, chaga. Oh, oh, chaga. Did you get it harvest yourself or did you have to? I'm sorry, I'm derailing this now. Yeah, no, it's cool. <laughs> I, I, I have a local guy. Yeah. Um, Blue Ridge chaga, I think, is the, <laughs> if, yeah. Um, I've been on, I've been, I've been keeping my eyes open for it, but I haven't found any myself. Um, but yeah, you know, Rishi is sort of like the, uh, the calming, soothing, and then Chaga is sort of like the, 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 um, you know, the, the energetic boost. So like having those two in balance, I think is, uh, I'm a Libra South node. So <laughs> even though I have all these areas, I do, I do know how to do balance. Um, but yeah, and there and there's this balance that's going to happen through the year, and that's one of the reasons why I do think that um, things are reaching kind of a fever pitch. That it feels like things are really starting to amp up. You know, you've got um, armed citizens in state houses, for instance, and uh, you know. There's a couple reasons to think that that's going to get more intense before we're done. Um, Michigan canceled a day of the legislature yesterday. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty edgy. But if you look at the Mayan calendar, you know, the 52-year new fire cycle, 1968 was a way good bit edgier than that. And so... Um, you know, we, there's Mars is going to be retrograde in Aries, <clears throat> so it's going to be in Aries for a really long time. There's a good reason to think that things are going to get even edgier. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, a lot of people just sort of assumed that this COVID thing was going to have a second wave. It makes sense, it's logical to think that it would, but I'm starting to get, and this is not anything necessarily logical from the astrology but it's more just of uh, an intuitive sense that that's not going to be it that the second half of the year is going to be equally intense maybe even more so but in a different way because you have all these south node retrogrades and then you have these two north node retrogrades that's very different same in the sense of you got these z shapes and you've got this centrality theme but one thing is one's about something passing away. Another is about something arising. Right. And mm -hmm. so, and, and the other thing is if you look at um, the eclipses, right, we had a, we had a South node eclipse at near the solstice. And that was, yeah, what is four or five degrees of Capricorn. Um, and that's like when all this COVID thing started coming into awareness. We're about to have a, an eclipse on like the first cardinal degree of ca cancer. Yeah. So that's like even closer. That's in, and um, so, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be setting us up for an intense second half of the year, but I'm starting to get the feeling that it's actually not, I'm not saying that we should all just run out and like, you know, have, you know, throw caution to the wind, by the way, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that I think that, um, that maybe, and we have to um, act as if that thing might come back. Right. But I don't know that it will. I'm starting to get this feeling like, yeah, it's actually maybe something else we got to deal with. Yeah. We have to act as if it will, because that's just sensible. 
Um, but that's in, also how you prevent it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you kind of can't know, did it not come back because of whatever or because of what we did? We don't know, but it didn't come back and that's the important thing. Um, but I feel like there's something else and I, yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but obviously we've got an election and we've got an extremely polarized, um, you know, environment. You know, the thing, you know, when you coop people up for a certain amount of time, they're going to get stir crazy. That's only natural. Um, and so, yeah, the, but Ref reference one, my household. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that uh, it, there's also some part of it that feels hopeful, too, in the sense that you have these North Node, um, you know, that there's something new that's coming up that could be revelatory in the same way that these South Node things are revelatory in the sense of really central and really, like, um, helps us to recenter on who we really are but in a way that fosters new growth and new awareness and moving forward, you know? And, and on, um, because there's so much bad now and um, potentially bad coming, that's just pretty clearly laid out in the symbols and signifiers. I do love to point out that the great conjunction looks um, optimistic and it doesn't always. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, obviously there's that too, right? If we, yeah, you know, it's interesting how, um, you know, there was so much energy focused on that. And then it's like, well, we got a fair bit of stuff to work through before we actually get to that one. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. December, the, the end of December is a long ways off. I mean, <sighs> yeah, but no, I feel, I feel ultimately really hopeful about that. What's interesting about that, though, a couple things. Um, remember how I was saying how regular Venus is and how she's like clockwork? Mars is exactly the opposite and um, like really irregular. And, and so when you begin to study the Venus-Mars cycle, it's fascinating. When, when we did the original Sky Astrology Conference back in 2015, I did th this you know, 2000 years of research into the Venus Mars cycle. And I found that there's this 200 year pattern where it's very much like Venus. It's like clockwork. You know, every fifth conjunction is, has a retrograde Venus. And that's what Reperti describes in the cycles of becoming book. Then Blaschke started talking about, Hey, wait, this isn't like what Reperti was saying and like, what's going on. And I started looking at it and it's like, yeah, you get this 200 years where it's like clockwork, and then you get this 100 years where it's haywire. Well, guess where we happen to be living our entire lives? <laughs> and, and it doesn't really become like clockwork again until the 2040s. So, you know, as hopeful as that great conjunction is, it's not like, um, like you know, you don't just flick a switch and it's the age of Aquarius, right? It's like, it, I would say it's hopeful in that it's ushering in um, an opportunity for it um, for working with solutions. Um, whereas we've seen a number of years there, there was expansion with Jupiter in Sag, 
But really what we were seeing was a general degradation of almost everything. I mean, that, that's what we've been looking at. Um, yeah. Lumped on chaos. Like those have been the themes. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of it's, it kind of boggles my mind. For instance, you know, you get people who are supposed to be leaders, like Elon Musk, for instance, um, and but wants to go to Mars, for instance. I don't get it. We've got problems here, bro. You know, <laughs> why why are we worried about going to Mars? That's a guy that's read his own press clippings. Yeah, he likes to be in the news. Right. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, the thing about the thing about air signs is like, you know, and I, <clears throat> like I said, I mean, you know, one of the things that I loved about Kelly Lee Phipps was he was a tremendously intelligent guy. And I, and I, you know, I, I'm part of the intelligentsia to some degree. You know, I have my degree there on the wall behind me if you're doing the video, but um, I'm not an intellectual. I'm not. I'm a country boy. And uh, so there's this thing about air that I sort of don't quite trust because the intellectual view of things can be somewhat, you know, distanced from the earth view of things. And so there's this transition from the earth to the air that's really hopeful in one sense, but it's like, let's not entirely lose touch with the earth because like, you know, the earth needs our help, man. Um, and so I'm hoping that, um, that, yeah, that we can get, like you said, some practical kind of stuff. And really to me, I mean, ultimately that's what magic is, you know, it's practical hands-on stuff where, um, you know, instead of like, you know, adjusting, you know, in alchemy, they talk about there's three parts of, you know, Paracelsus introduced the, right, the third part. So you've got the, the salt, the body of something. You've got the soul, the fiery driving force of that thing. And then you've got the consciousness of that thing, the spirit of that thing. Now, so, the, you know, with, this, with the psychological astrology, uh, making an adjustment to the consciousness, to the spirit of something, that can change the entire system. Um, making an adjustment to the salt, like taking a pill, right, can make a change to something as well. Um, but, but, you know, if you use the will, if you, if you make an adjustment using the will and saying, you know, I'm going to make a magical intervention using my will, to, you can also make an adjustment that way. And, and, and to me, it's a little more practical than necessarily, you know, making a psychological or even a political adjustment. Magic is a good bit more practical and hands-on and personal. <laughs> and so that's what's attractive to me about the magic is that it's, even though it requires a fair bit of, um, you know, intellect and, and consciousness for sure, for instance, you know, if I'm thinking about doing a particular kind of magic, let's say, for instance, I want to work with a particular plant. And then life or the anima mundi or whatever you want you know, puts me right in touch with that plant without me doing anything but having thought about I'd like to work with that plant. Next thing you know, boom, there it is, right? That's a pretty big yes. 
for right but the other it can work the other way too and so there's this interplay between you know the um the, your your consciousness and your you know your intelligence and um and then you know understanding like that there's a greater intelligence to me ultimately that's what really what i'm hoping is that um with the Aquarius, you know, the, the great conjunction in Aquarius is that more people can tune into the fact that there's a greater intelligence at work in their life and that it's guiding them. It's a loving force that wants them to be whole. And ultimately, remember what I was saying? My, my, my desire to be as a counselor, I want to be this, you know, supportive person who helps people be more whole and take charge. Like that's what the way I see this, the animal Monday, it's a loving force that's got trying to guide you. If you're, if you open up to it. That's beautiful. And, and I've argued this for a while that this resurgence of astrology and witchy stuff into culture <clears throat> for me, uh, our job as people taking part in all this fun woo stuff, is to help this understanding of the reanimation of our world. Exactly. That, that, that the world is alive all around us. We're part of it and we can interact with it. And it's really our job to. Absolutely, brother. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Gary, I have loved having you on. This was one of my favorite podcasts ever getting to talk about Kelly. Um, I'm going to reiterate, folks, just search Kelly Lee Phipps on YouTube and just please, uh, sit down, take some deep breaths, and enjoy because he he, yeah. he is a gift given to the world. Yeah, and by the way, regarding his uh, regarding his uh, you know he wrote a, an entire ebook on the Jupiter Saturn conjunction cycle. So regarding this great conjunction, like get a hold of that because it's like really good. <laughs> he, his website was up. I don't know that it still is, and you could purchase things and download things from it. I don't oh, know. Yeah, I'm not positive. Okay, um, but if you Google it, trouble keeping that up from time to time. Um, if it's not, check back. Um, I'll, I'll try to get in touch with Brenda and see, you know, what's going on, see if she needs any help with that. But yeah, oh, that e-book, amazing. Yeah, that ebook that he did on the Jupiter conjunction cycles is just, it's it's you know, it's it's pure Kelly. And the other thing is, there's a there's a Brenda had a group on Facebook that's called Kelly's Journey, where she was allowing people to download some of the stuff that he was, he was in the middle of a work in progress when he passed. And um, it was called the Tao of Astrology. And a lot, yeah. she made a lot of that stuff available. Really? Yeah, on the Facebook group. And it's, it's really potent stuff. He talks about the five elements of the Chinese five elements as a, as a process of transformation so that there would be like five stages in being Aries, for instance, and that the warrior is just one stage and the, like the pioneer is another part of Aries and so forth. Right. And I thought that was incredible. I was so looking forward to that book coming out. So yeah, I'll be in touch with her. I'm proud. I'm pretty sure it's probably a blip if it's down. And uh, hopefully it'll be back up because that's that stuff needs to be available for people. He really is, and and continues to be through that work, uh, an amazing genius. 
I will. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, awesome. Before I sign, before I sign us off, Gary, can you please let people know how they can find you? Right. So I'm at dreamastrologer.com. Uh, Hermetic Astrology Podcast has a page on Facebook. I also have a personal page on Facebook. I've got a YouTube channel for a long time. Um, I wasn't really messing with that, but I've got a YouTube channel now. You can check out. For instance, I did a video recently that that has the visuals for these for this loop that I was telling you about. Very that cool. Does yeah, right on. Well, uh, thank you so much for being yeah, on the show. Yeah, you're welcome, Kip. It's been a pleasure, buddy. Ah, oh, that's great to hear. And remember, a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men. Mm-hmm.